Dr. Angela DeLulo, welcome back to the show. You are the author of Awake. It's your turn. Book about awakening, realization, all that stuff. You have a uh, YouTube channel, Simply Always Awake, where you do lots of videos. We'll put a link to the book, link to your website where you can sign up for what we're about to talk about, which is an email list talking about any future retreats, meditation retreats you do. So we're gonna talk about meditation retreats. And this is of interest to me. So, because I'll tell you why, because ever since I've started, I started down the path of like trying to understand 2012, meditating this, that, Sam Harris, waking up, the app, all that. I've always wanted to do a retreat, but it sounded so daunting and so terrifying. And I didn't just didn't know, the people that I'd known who had done it would say things like, you can't really talk about it. Like it just doesn't, there's no words for it. And I'm like, lame, like, right. there's words for everything, bro. Like I talk for a living. And, um, and but then they would say it's hard. It's one of the hardest things you'll do. And, and you know, being in silence for days at a time and meditating and sitting. And so I had a lot of anxiety around, I'm gonna be sitting in silence with a bunch of people I don't know, uh, meditating, like I can't, you know, I, the most I'll meditate is an hour and that's like, can be torturous sometimes and what am I gonna do? And didn't know what was what I was in for. Then we did a retreat together that you led in Asilomar in Monterey. And it was six days, semi-silent, meaning in the evenings you would talk, break silence. And um, with 30 of our supporter tribe, and again, there's, we'll talk about it, but there were no words for it. Like it was such a transformative thing for myself and I know for people who were there, if, they, if I'm believing what they tell me, that I thought, let's dive into that. Mm. So w what is your conception of retreat? Like, what is that? I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's, um, so for anyone who's meditated, uh, I often give a um, introduction at the beginning of retreat and sort of contrast daily meditation with prolonged meditation. So when you do daily meditation, you meditate 20 or 30 minutes a day or twice a day or even longer. Um, it it t tends to have a relaxing effect, a centering effect, a calming of the mind, calming of the body. Um, to, there can be times when it's kind of difficult, but for the most part, it tends to be enjoyable, especially once you're sort of good at it, you're seasoned at it. Mm. And when you sit to, to meditate in a retreat for one day, two days, three, four days, it, it becomes a whole different ballgame. Mm. Um, the mind likes to be calm for a, a short period of time, but it doesn't like to be calm for a long period of time. <laughs> uh, it, it starts to it starts to act up a little bit. So one of the first things people notice is the the internal thoughtscape seems to actually get pretty activated after a few hours of meditation or one day of meditation. So the first day or two days can be actually really challenging for people who've never done it because it seems like your mind is making a heck of a lot more noise than it usually does. So can I interject an experience? So when we did your retreat, we sat down the first day we arrived, you're already in silence. Like you'd set the tone right away, like this is what we're doing. Everybody's all excited. Oh, well, look, we're here with Z-Dog, we're doing the supporter thing, and then zzz, sit there, quiet for hours, go to bed that night. That whole night, it was like a radio station was playing in my head, just thoughts, 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 thoughts. Hey, here's W106, thoughts, thoughts, <laughs> thoughts. And I, I could see it because I had some meditation experience. So I was watching this going, oh my God, that's what a thought storm is like. It's nonstop, all night, I barely slept. So mm -hmm. is that compatible with what you're saying? Totally. So right. yeah, and, and it's, it's actually in and of itself, that experience uh, is can teach you something just just because you're having it, right? And and the the lesson that that can be had by that is 
realizing how incredibly identified we are with thoughts all day long, mm. not realizing it. Because what I tell people, and it takes a bit of experience to really get this, I think, but after a while it becomes obvious, and that is what you're perceiving as a whole bunch more thoughts than you usually have is not a whole bunch more thoughts than you usually have. You're just perceiving them as thoughts instead of as you, as your actual reality. <laughs> so the analogy is you're floating down a river. Let's say it's a, it's a very, it's a large river and you're floating down it and you're in a boat and all your stuff is in the boat and you're kind of looking at the boat, you're looking at your your articles of clothing in the boat and, and you're, you can see the water moving with you around the boat, but your your gaze is sort of downward or just sort of forward and, and you're seeing the boat and the water and yourself and you're all moving at the same speed. That's kind of being lost in the thought stream. And most people I think spend most of their day doing that, yeah. whether they know it or not. The way you find out how much Vol how, how much volume of thought is actually moving down that stream is you get out of the boat, you go to the, you go to the shore and you look directly across the river and you just watch that, that stream of water moving past you. And you realize, my God, that's how much has been moving down the stream the whole time. That, that's really, that that's analogy it. is pretty apt that's actually. Yeah. And the more times you do this, the more, and the more you de-identify from thought, the more you realize that's actually what it is. That first day, the first, definitely the first few hours, but then the first day, day and a half, it, it seems like, the, the volume just goes up in your mind. Like mm -hmm. there's just more thoughts, more content. But what's what's really nice is that after, it, that, that's the first step. The first step is de-identifying. You have to be aware of the thoughts as such before before the mind can really calm mm -hmm. in, a, in a much more profound way than it does with daily meditation. And that starts to happen usually day two, three, uh, up till day four. But it, you, you feel it in the whole group when all of a sudden everything just gets quieter. You, f you literally feel it in, in the, the environment and, and the way people move, um, you start to communicate on a different level because you're not talking. You're, you're really communicating almost through movement, but you're not saying something that you would say in language. It's more of a, a communication of like an empathic communication. It's a feel and a vibe with the whole group. And it, it suddenly just drops to this calmer level. Okay, so just so people know who we are, all mm -hmm. right? Because this is important. Angelo is a science skeptic, anesthesiologist, doctor. I am a skeptical scientific hospitalist doctor. Any woo-woo stuff is like, it triggers an allergic response in both of us. What you're saying, this idea of this empathic, energetic communication with a group of people in that space is absolutely true experientially, absolutely, in a way that it will, it will challenge a lot of your own thinking about how humans are social. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, nonverbal uh, energetic connection with others. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know the science of it, but yeah. I'd say that it is absolutely real. And you're absolutely right that about day two, three, it dr there's a dropping feeling mm -hmm. where you drop into presence with the others. And it is so profound, especially if you've never experienced it. Mm -hmm. Like I, I had not experienced that com communally that it, it, it's beyond, to some degree, the ability to, to describe mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, that's why I use the term like energetic and so forth, but there is uh, a, a sort of model for that, that communication style. And, and you, you know, you've heard 90% of communication is nonverbal. It's facial expressions, the way the body moves, body language, voice tone, all these sorts of things. So we communicate uh, in nonverbal ways all the time, right? Mm. The way the ways we move, the ways we sit, the way all of it, and we're very good at picking up body language from other people 
even if we're not, even if we're kind of lost in thought, we still pick up body language a lot more than we realize. If you're in the room with somebody that that gives you a weird vibe or a creepy vibe, you pick it up and you notice them right away. Yeah. Like often, you know, um, if two people are having a, a very quiet but kind of an argument in a restaurant, all of a sudden everyone in the whole restaurant can feel it. You can see what's happening. So you're picking up on cues all the time. And this set of circumstances, this set of conditions, this deepening of a retreat is just something that's not a common thing to see or feel, but but you can pick it up through through body language. You can pick it up through again just the the, the sort of collective empathic experience. It's it's pretty obvious, and it's not woo woo. It's just like you feel it. You can feel it very very clearly. It is experienced yeah. directly. Mm-hmm. But w- one interesting thing that that you so you set a tone in the beginning when you told us what this is, including in the written material. You said, "Listen, you're not here to socialize. That's not an obligation of yours. Mm. You don't have to make eye contact with people. This is about." your thing and the energy of others are all doing the same thing. And what that did is it absolves a certain social obligation because we feel as social creatures, at least I do, I should make eye contact when I pass someone that I know, I should do the two. And so I made it actually, initially it had to be conscious to like avert gaze a little bit, pay attention just to where, what I'm doing. So your comment on the body language stuff becomes even more acute when it's peripheral vision picking it up. So. We're used to focusing just on our macular vision, like what are what are we picking out of the environment and focusing on? But when you really drop into that kind of presence with others without that obligation and relax, these very peripheral, more holistic cues become much more powerful. And that that's how I experienced mm-hmm. it. It's like I would sense in the peripheral what others what they were communicating. Mm-hmm. It, what, I, I wouldn't have to look at someone to get the body language. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, and there's also uh, an emotional component to it, right? So when you start sitting uh, without moving, without giving your mind anything to distract it uh, for for hours on end, you will go through emotional experiences. So one might be frustration, one might be restlessness, one might, and sometimes things that are not necessarily even appropriate to the situation, but they come up like sadness or grief or Mm. something that's recently happened in your life may spark other kinds of emotions, Uh, even anger. You might get mad that that person's breathing loud over there Mm. and that sort of thing. So you actually start to do, you do start to feel these physiologic experiences, these these emotional experiences um, and everyone else in the room can feel them a lot of times with you. For instance, like if somebody's really, really restless in a retreat and there's always at least one person who's yep. restless at some time or another, uh, you, you feel everyone can kind of feel it. And you might feel like annoyance. Oh, I could, I could, I could be calm if that person was calm. And then you, and then you realize, oh, I'm a judgmental jerk kind of, you know, like yeah. that what they are doing has nothing to do with me. And then, and then, so you're able to process that emotion in a different way, in a more direct way. And then you start to feel empathy. You're like, oh, wow, yeah. I know what it feels like to be restless. Oh, I actually am restless too. And I didn't want to see that. That's why I was feeling judgment and frustration towards that person, wow. right? So you start to communicate with yourself in a different way on, on a more emotional level. Um, and then, as you know, people will sometimes, you'll hear someone kind of softly crying or yeah. there's emotional releases that happen during this. And so you really start to feel, at least I do, an empathic connection with everybody because we're all humans and we're all going through stuff and we always are going through stuff. But again, we often communicate and live in a, in a busy world, a distracted world, a world of a bit of inauthenticity in the ways we communicate. So we don't communicate on that channel, that empathic channel, that human channel. In this environment, you you can't help but notice if somebody's having a hard time next to you and you start to really feel like a, a sort of sympathy and empathy for them. This is one, I think, was one of the most powerful uh, aspects of retreat that I wasn't 
I really wasn't aware of or prepared for is that emotional empathic connection. So the first the first day we were there, I, I know because there was a sense my situation was weird because these guys all know me, but I don't know them, right? So there was this weird thing and I felt a kind of responsibility like, oh, you know, because of the shows we did before, these guys said, I trust these two to come, I'm gonna come to this retreat. So there's a sense of, oh, I hope, you know, I hope they're gonna be okay. I hope there's, they get something out of this. I hope they don't think it's crazy. You know, all this like self-referential thought. And there was one person who was having, I could tell they were super restless, even day one, day two, just sh shifting, sleepy, nodding, this and that. And I really, I felt connected to that person um, in a way that it started to intrude in my mind at night. Like I would have these experiences of experiencing what it was like from their perspective, really deep empathic stuff that I had not experienced. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ready for it, but what I found was it, it was, probably the most powerful aspect of the whole experience was feeling emotion and connection in a way that you don't get to normally feel mm -hmm. with our social conditioning and our, our constant blather. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think we actually use language a lot of times to distance ourselves emotionally, even if we convince ourselves we're using it to connect. It's, it, <laughs> I mean, I know that's, that's a kind it's, of a- It's fully true. Yeah, it, I think it's true. I feel it a lot because, because again, like through a lot of, meditation and these types of retreats and stuff, I, I, I feel energetically connected with people. Like I really feel that empathic channel all the time. I don't always comment on it. Uh, I might, but I generally don't. But, and I can also communicate at the sort of cognitive level at the same time. It's pretty simple. So I feel that all the time. But when we go to retreat, that superficial layer is scraped right off the top. No mm -hmm. one's talking. So mm -hmm. we can all feel that. And that to me feel, so I feel uh, more clearly and less distractedly connected with people in retreat, but the connection's always there. It's and, always there, mm -hmm. yeah. Man, it's just, all this talking about it is just bringing me right back to that space. Mm -hmm. It was so beautiful, man. Yeah. Like, and yeah. we're talking about the collective nature of it and the, yes. the, you know, the group dynamic. And there is a group dynamic and it, it's a powerful thing because for many people, it would be very hard to make yourself sit and meditate that many hours a day, day after day after day. But when you're in a group of people and it's like, you're all committed to this, you're kind of, I'm sitting there because you're sitting there and you're sitting yeah. there because I, and so we're not actually gonna get up and leave. We'll, we'll, we'll commit to going through this. So that dynamic is very helpful. The group dynamic of retreat is important. Um, however, the, there's a whole other dimension to this and that's the personal journey inward. Right, which, yeah. which, and, uh, okay. So before we leave the group dynamic, because I think, I really wanna emphasize this because I misunderstood this going into it. I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to sit still, that my stomach would rumble, that I'd be distracted, that I'd be the one who was like having a coughing fit in the corner and have to walk out and this and that. What you pointed at, that collective intention, you feel it energetically and it locks you into a kind of an ease. Even though it's hard, there's an ease to it that you could never get on your own mm -hmm. if you haven't had that experience. Like, could I sit in my room for that many hours meditating? I don't think so. But having, having that collective was, um, was such a powerful sort of energy that allows you to do that, allows you to do things that you don't think you could have done that then allow the individual journey that you're gonna to point to, mm -hmm. in my experience. Yep, yep. And so the individual journey is you know, what we've been talking about on all these, all these videos, but the gist of it is, you know, you get past that part where the mind is just kind of 
rambling on and and you're started starting to disidentify from it and not pay as much attention to it and then you start to just pay attention to anything else whatever whatever else is going on your experience of just being alive consciousness being or the senses the sounds the sensations uh, and what you find is you don't really have to do much to, for presence to clarify itself mm. you just have to continue to not distract retreat is, is simply about not distracting that's what you're just you're just putting yourself in a situation where you don't have your phone to mess with you can't get in arguments with somebody to distract yourself you can't go shopping you can't do all the hundred thousand ways we distract ourselves your your job is to really sit there and just let reality show you what it is mm. and that will take you deeply deeply i'll use the word inward but you know it's just for lack of a better word, but into a into a place of investigation that we don't give ourselves permission or time to do during the usual uh, responsibilities of our day to day lives, and that that's that's really what retreat is is ultimately about. And the the social aspect that we just described, the collective aspect, is a sort of support system for that. Yeah, for each one of us. But it's it's a very personal journey. Apps, that's exact. That was my experience of it. Mm -hmm. Your retreat was exactly that. The social aspect provided like lift, mm -hmm. but you're flying the plane. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is your journey, and it can't be anyone else's. Mm -hmm. And even the concept of personal becomes very vague. Mm -hmm. it, it is just what's happening. Mm -hmm. The distraction component. I think I want to just emphasize that this thing that runs our lives that we're so plugged into and addicted to. When it goes away, it is almost, at first you get that bit of withdrawal, like well, I, I gotta check Twitter or I gotta check my email or what if my wife is texting or there's something wrong with the kids, whatever. But once that relaxes, and you know, at night you can check once. I had a little pattern of like, make sure there's no emergencies. Okay, there's no emergencies, let it go. But it's such a relief. And you find that you're able to be present in a way without distraction. That key of distraction is so important. We, we live our lives in distraction. Mm -hmm. And uh, to, to give yourself permission to be undistracted is a huge gift. Mm -hmm. It's not just a gift for you, but it's a gift for people who are gonna experience you in their lives afterwards. But yeah, so yeah. Back, back to you. <laughs> no, that's it. And you, and you find yourself in this environment, you're supported by the environment, by the group you're with, and by whoever's kind of leading the retreat that's telling you, hey, this is your chance. This is your opportunity to pay attention to the one thing that we often just overlook. We, we're always looking outward from it, so let's look directly inward at it, whatever it is, yeah? So you're given that permission, and then, as I said, you know, the, the environment is already supportive of this, and there aren't distractions, or there are very few distractions if you if you play your cards right and you, you know, don't mess around with your phone too much and stuff. You really have the opportunity to just sit and as I mentioned, life will show you. Um, there's a there's a quote. I'm going to mess it up a little bit. There's a quote by Franz Kafka, and he says, "You uh, you you don't even have to." He said, you, "You can just sit at your table in your room and and wait." Well, you don't even have to wait. You can just sit there. Actually, just become quiet through and through, and the universe will offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. Mm. That's what this that's is about. It. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Now, and, and that's the environment you're in. So, so you really don't have to do anything, really. You don't have to know how to do anything. We could call that natural meditation or just mm. sitting in presence. Mm. Now, on top of that, if you have a, a real fire underneath you and you're burning desire for awakening to find out what that's all about, to to dig into the, to the root of identity and so forth, then you can add inquiry or something to it. And mm. in this environment, that's like rocket fuel. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You'll go through all kinds of crazy things. You'll you'll be destabilized. You'll you know you'll be uh, you know you'll go through crazy emotional patterns, and they'll go away. The thoughts will come. Then the mind will become extremely quiet. Then you'll feel this profound presence, and it's just it just keeps going, right? It's like layer after layer after layer of experience, and you just kind of keep drilling down through it. If that's your if that's your bag, man, this is the environment to do that. You guys think he's just saying this? This is absolutely how it is. <laughs> Everything he just said, I was like, uh-huh, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. He, so, <laughs> well, okay, okay, okay. There's so, there's so much here. So the, um, the emotional piece of it, I thought, again, was the most surprising personally for me because I didn't expect it to be such a prominent component of the experience for me. But it's clear that that's a processing that had to happen for me where as the mind got quieter and more unified around the intention of silence, presence, and witnessing what's actually happening. What was actually happening was the arising of very, very, very strong emotion to the point where, um, you know, in between sessions, we would have a break where we could go back to our room. We had free time. And the idea was don't go talking. You're, you're still in silence, but use the free time however you feel. Go walk in nature, do whatever, because it was near the beach. It was a beautiful place. And I went back to my room and for two hours, just doubled over sobbing, right? All this emotion coming through. And it, there was no, you couldn't, it wasn't conceptual emotion like, oh, I, this is about this or this is about that. It was just pure emotion. And in, in, I think I told you, it felt like the suffering of the entire world was just channeling through you. And that was, and it was good. Mm -hmm. Like you were like, more please, like, yeah. you know, as you're like, and, and I remember I, I couldn't even like my whole, my, all my abs were sore mm -hmm. because of that just, yeah. But it felt like a purification, like it had to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's, a, it, it's not a suffering, it's, a, it's, an, it's experiencing emotion as it is. Mm -hmm. So that's a clarification. I have people go, I don't wanna go through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I can vouch for yeah. it. It's absolutely essential. Yeah, and it's true in one sense. I you don't want to go through. You don't. You don't. You don't go to retreat to have that happen to you. Right. But I promise you, once you go through that, you'll be you. You would not trade that for anything. Not for the world. It, it's a you, you feel communion with the suffering of everyone, and, and there's such truth in that. You know, it's not the whole. That's not the whole of retreat, and that's no, not no, no. necessarily the point of retreat. But that's not an uncommon experience, and it's quite something. It, 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 I would call it your heart opening. You That's know, your heart is, opening yeah. to, to everything, and you feel it. It's very, very real. I, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, I, I, I remember the thought just kept arising, my heart, my heart, my heart, like, what is this? And it was just, <laughs> it felt like, you know what's funny? I don't think I've told this story ever. Um, I have this weird thing since I was a kid. You cannot touch me right here in my sternum. Like it's like a, a like a sensitive spot. Mm -hmm. Like it's like you know some people have their neck or their armpits. They get ticklish or whatever. I get violent when people try to touch me <laughs> right here. Mm -hmm. Ever since I was a kid, people know. Oh, that's Zubin's spot. Don't touch mm -hmm. him in his spot. And if they knew, if they wanted to bully me or something, they'd just touch me right here, and I would lose my mind. <laughs> like I would la I would start punching. Wow, right. Yeah. Even my kids know uh -huh. if they want to torture me, they just come up and put their hand right here. Yeah. I couldn't touch myself there. Yeah. So during the retreat during all this emotion, I felt this space mm -hmm. as a kind of a presence, like a, mm -hmm. like a, like a wall that was starting to crumble and mm -hmm. it opened. Mm -hmm. And I just took my hand and I was like, thump, and I put it right there. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I've never been able to even touch myself here. There are these physical manifestations of repressed emotion or whatever it is. I don't know mm -hmm. what it is, but it's yep. energetic. It's a kind of energy. And I would not trade that for the world. Now, since then, it's closed a little bit. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's not like this is magic, mm -hmm. but it is a process. Yeah. 
but it can open and close. But mm -hmm. that opening of the heart, it's so indescribable. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be on retreat to have it happen, but man, it is a, yeah. it's like throwing gasoline mm. on a fire. And it's natural. That's the other thing I want to point out. It yeah. feels very, very natural. Yeah. It doesn't feel like some mystical You're on drugs or, or a mystical drug. experience, right. Nope. It, feel, it almost feels like you remember it from mm. very, very, very early childhood. Almost like, I don't know, being in the womb or some distant, distant memory before you became a, a self that's thinking all the time. And it's just that intimacy of, of aliveness. Mm. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's so instinctually real. Yeah. Oh, that feeling. That, that, actually, this is something I think we should really focus. It's natural in the sense that people can have experiences on MDMA, on ayahuasca, on psilocybin, on psychedelics, where there's a heart opening and it's real, I mean, it's a real experience. But oftentimes when coming back from that, when they reintegrate and the ego kind of reforms and re-solidifies after being blown open, it tells stories about it like, you were on drugs and had a drug experience that made you feel like this. Mm -hmm. With retreat, it feels so natural and seamless with reality, like a remembered, like, oh, I just, I'd forgotten that this is how it is, <laughs> yeah. that the integration of that is much softer and more natural mm -hmm. and, and more, I, I feel like more durable, but everybody has a different experience. So I'm not knocking psychedelics or mm -hmm. anything, but that, that was my experience with retreat. Mm -hmm. And I've had those other experiences, and but this was different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people ask about psychedelics quite a bit and you know, I, I don't have, I, I can't tell someone what to do or what not to do, you know, whatever, do things cautiously and be smart about what you're doing. But, but I do say, if you're really interested in awakening, I know for certain you don't need psychedelics. Right. You just don't, they're not necessary to, to wake up. Right. And they, and if you, if you think that's your path, uh, at some point you're going to have to, you're gonna have to let go of those. Uh, you will, yeah. you will at some point, you might, you might even have an, an actual awakening a true authentic awakening. And I've heard of that happening once or twice that I've heard of a lot of experiences that I wouldn't necessarily call awakening, right. but I've met a couple people that I was reasonably convinced actually had an awakening. But beyond that, at some point you're gonna, you're gonna have to let go of that stuff mm. for various reasons. But it, basically what you said is the truth of it is like, you can't force hack the system. You have to do it through deep, thoroughgoing authenticity and vulnerability, mm. not through causing you know a physiologic shift in your body you know by force hacking it with with drugs yeah it, it's all that only gets you so far probably yeah so, i yeah. think you're right mm -hmm. that now the vulnerability component at retreat is fascinating mm -hmm. you're with other people they're strangers and but they're all there for this reason mm -hmm. they're all they're all they all feel called to do this mm -hmm. so there's a kinship there that you feel but what's amazing is as it settles in and that group, we can talk about this term samadhi, it's a kind of wonky term, but I think it's very, or jariki is another mm -hmm. Zen term, but we can talk about that. But th this energy of concentration and unity of mind that happens, you can share a space with them at a breakfast table eating in silence, which you do, which people panicked about. They were like, I don't know how I'm gonna eat in silence. Like eating for me is a social ritual. Like this is where I talk. And But eating breakfast in silence with other people who are there with the same thing is an energetic experience of just, I, I don't know how to just, it's love. Mm -hmm. Like I sat at the breakfast table and I'm like, I'm in love with this table. Mm -hmm. Like how did that happen? Yeah. And everyone there, you just feel the energy. And some of them are having a hard time. You can see they're crying mm -hmm. just at breakfast. Mm -hmm. They're feeling the emotion mm -hmm. and you just feel so connected to them. Yeah, it's wonderful. It is, yeah. it's beyond wonderful. Think about yeah. it this way, you have, you could say you have six six possible experiences, broadly speaking, right? You have sight, sensation, sound, taste, smell, and then blah, 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 the mind. Right. That's going all day long. Right. So when you're sitting down to eat a meal, 
and you release a lot of your attention from that blah, blah, blah thought gate, that thought experience, and you free up a lot of your attention for the, the experience of taste, sound, smell, it's a very intimate experience. It's, it's, it is altogether different. It's a different way to eat a meal and to share a meal with other people. And almost universally, people tell me that at the end of retreats, like, oh, I love the silent part. I, I really enjoyed eating with the group of people. Hey, sorry to interrupt this episode. It's Dr. Z. Just a quick pitch here. If you can just leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, it helps us a lot. I also want to hear what you think about this episode when you're done listening. Hello at ZDogMD.com. It's the best way for me to hear your voice because the emails come right to me. And we don't have a comment section on most podcast platforms. Maybe Spotify has one, but nobody else does. So it really gets your voice involved on episodes, especially that don't have a video. And the third thing is if you want to be a part of this community and support the show, join our supporter tribe, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. You can join on YouTube, Locals, Facebook, Instagram. You get live videos with me where we're talking about these things in depth, uncensored, and your comments are fully incorporated as in real time. And then we do these Zoom meetings where it's really like a beautiful community where we share our experiences on the awakening journeyless journey. How are we gonna transform ourselves so we can transform healthcare and education and government? Because those systems are epiphenomena of us. Until we wake up, those systems will stay asleep. They'll, they're just an expression of our own delusion. So being a part of that, it supports this message so others can hear it. And it also allows for our own collective growth. So we need each other in that way. It's really, really, really tightly interwoven and interdependent. That's it. Back to your regular schedule, regularly scheduled show. It, it, again, logically, you wouldn't think it would be that enjoyable, but you have to you have to do it. You can't you can't know that a priori. You, you have to go do it. And, and the interesting thing is, the yeah. mind will tell stories about that experience yeah. in advance and be like, "That's crazy." And it's all fear based. It's, it's like all oh, fear. it would be awkward. I would look weird. Oh my god, I couldn't eat a meal alone. I how could I ever eat a meal in silence? And it's it's all fear based. I, 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 I'll make a statement that I think was true for me. Every resistance to retreat that I felt in advance was fear. Mm -hmm. It was all fear-based. Mm -hmm. Fear of vulnerability, fear of frustration, fear of boredom, fear of look you know, not succeeding, mm -hmm. like the goal-based striver. All of it was fear-based. And those fears dissolve into mm -hmm. pure experience when you're at the retreat. That's right. And that is a massive relief. Mm -hmm. It happened quick for me mm -hmm. for some reason. I just, even after day one, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> and I know for others, they were more, it was a struggle for a few more days or hours, mm -hmm. but they eventually opened into that too. Yeah. That's yeah. the beautiful thing about retreat is you never know what you're going to get. Mm. You just never know. You can you can have the best retreat in the world and the next one you'll be like, oh, it's going to be the most peaceful. And that'll be the one where it's like all this emotional turmoil. And oh, just, you, know, you yeah. just don't, you just don't know. Yeah. Over time, after you've done it, a good handful of them though, they just, they just get more and more enjoyable. And you're always glad you went. Yeah. Really, you're always, at the end, no matter what you had to go through, coming out the other side, you would never trade it. Now, now, well, let's you know. clarify that one way. A different type of retreat without good support, like a, let's say a Vipassana type retreat where there's nobody really running it per se, and you're just left to be silent without a lot of processing. Do bad things happen at retreat? They have, yeah, yeah. in the past. I mean, 
people find those valuable the 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 goinka goinka retreats yeah possum retreats a 10-day retreat it's very it has a very specific schedule and you watch videos and so forth and you have some support but not not a lot of support and a lot of it is just just solitary meditation right body scanning and stuff so and that's fine if if you if you're a seasoned meditator if you've done retreats and stuff it's fine and you're safe but with n- really very little to no support uh, there have been people who got into that didn't know what they're getting into mm-hmm. and ended up very very destabilized afterwards yeah. like like long-term type stuff where yeah. they just they didn't know how to integrate it and, and that sort of thing so i wouldn't necessarily discourage someone from doing that if you're really inclined to but just know what you're getting into and make sure you can do a two three four day retreat ahead of time and and, mm-hmm. and you know what prolonged meditation is about and all that sort of thing yeah um uh, zen retreats uh, sashin very intense very it's intense because you can't even move it's like sitting on a, on a zen cushion for one hour no big deal sitting on a zen cushion for three hours gets painful yeah. sitting on a, a zafu zen cushion for four five six seven hours but gets actually very very painful and the knees and legs get it's very painful yeah you get into day two and you just are like i'm how what am i doing why am i doing this you can't even meditate you can't concentrate it's just pain 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 right yeah yeah uh and then then the weird things happen you get to day three day four and all of a sudden the pain just turns off like a switch you're like wait all that pain was just resistance how is that even possible oh, wow. you learn a lot about pain but wow. it, it's a lot of pain uh, physically um and then and then you do get into that kind of group mind space. You have a teacher that's reasonably supportive depending on your situation. And, but Zen's pretty masculine too. It's, yeah. it's a hard, it's a hard path. Yeah. Um, I structure my retreats cause I've done those. I structured my retreats somewhat like that schedule wise, but I put a lot more support on there Yeah. and I, I do, I do more talks. I, do, I yeah. do more interactive stuff and I really help people integrate into the senses more consistently throughout the retreat, which really keeps you grounded. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't actually preclude awakening or or the, the expansive experiences. It just gives you the ability to to keep bringing it back into the physical, uh, which I find actually helps people wake up, but also. Uh, does it, it avoids some of the dissociation you can get with those kinds of situations or right. just feeling absolutely completely stuck for four or five days straight in a retreat. There's just no need for that. Right. If you have somebody who can actually help can you, help you through that stuff. So I try to I try to integrate a lot of that. And I also do the semi-silent um, aspect for that reason. Right. It's a little jarring to go from a day of silent sitting and all of a sudden you're talking and so forth, but it also teaches you how to come back into the world yeah. again and again. Like you, you can practice doing that because it can be hard to come back from a retreat when you've been silent for days and days and then you have to go to work on Monday and the retreat ended on Saturday and you're just kind of blown out with awareness or whatever. It can be very challenging. You so. know, I, I at the time when we went through the retreat, you know, at first, especially, I was very jarred by the, the when it went to non-silence mm-hmm. because all of a sudden all the sort of pent up social stuff that that I was so glad was gone because I actually, I could relax fully into just this because I was coming from a different angle too. Suddenly was back and I had to be on, right? Like, and all the conditioning and the veneer that we put on and all of that starts to come back. But as the days went on, that started to naturally relax. Like what you're saying, you start to learn to integrate the presence that you're feeling with actual other human beings Mm -hmm. and talk and only say what's necessary. So all that unnecessary speech starts to drop away. And then you get to connect with these folks, you learn their story. And I, I thought some of the most powerful aspects of what you did were the group activities, which, okay, the mind, my mind told me stories about those in advance. Dude, I don't do group activity, that's so lame. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to talk like, what are we gonna do? It, there's improv comedy on here, what is that? Like 
crazy stuff. And my mind is like, nope. And it's all fear. It's all like, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to have to tell like my deepest, darkest secrets to some stranger. What actually happened was opening of the heart, connecting with others, hearing their stories, whether it's a story of trauma or a story of something beautiful, whatever it is, hearing their experience and then and then feeling it mm -hmm. really was just, it was it's indescribable. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I love everyone who was at that retreat forever, mm -hmm. right? So th that was beautiful. And mm -hmm. the way that you did it was just absolutely, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I'm just saying this was my experience. It was masterful because by the last day, you were, you were, there was this reluctance to go back into the real world. Like I could have done another month of that. I thought it was amazing. But I felt at least like, okay, I'm ready to do this. Yeah. And so it, it works. It mm -hmm. really does. And 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 again, that I wanted I do want to talk about Samadhi and Jariki, that that energy of concentration feeds the ability to do that mm -hmm. in a way that you wouldn't just have it work, say, without that, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jariki is a sort of term, a Zen term for a, a collect. It, it's not necessarily collective, but in the retreat setting, it is collective. It's a, a sort of meditative concentration that builds, and it's not. It's it's collective, so it's not like you are personally making it happen. It just actually builds in the environment, and every single person's experiencing it, and it's it's quite powerful. It's mm. a it's a. I don't want to give too many words to it. It's a meditative knowing, a samadhi knowing. It's it's very obvious. You can drop deep into meditation very quickly the moment you sit down. That's it, right. It, it, it starts happening faster and faster every time you sit, and then you start noticing it as you're walking. You know, and, and time starts to really change the experience of time flow, and it, it's it's just when you're in it, you know it's happening, and it's like it becomes the most prominent thing. It becomes more obvious than the physical bodies that are doing this. It's like it's a whole other. You're on a whole other freaking wavelength, and. Um, it's great. Man, it's a wonderful thing to experience at least one time in this lifetime, and you would never ever know what this is that we're talking about unless you do it. It's like having a. It's like it's like a, a woman giving birth to a baby. If you've never done it, you just can't really know what can't it's know like. what it is. Even the even the father can't really know what that experience is like. It's probably something like that. But, it's just you just can't know. You could you could kind of guess maybe or get a sense of it, but I don't even unless you go through it. Man, I, it was such a. And look, I've been I've been meditating for years. I've never had anything that maybe here's the asymptote of what that is. Like it's like here, and then you do it on retreat, and you're just always approaching that. It just it builds and builds and builds, and it's a palpable presence. Like you said, you sit down, thirty minutes are gone, mm -hmm. and it's a kind of unification of mind. It's like all your unconscious parts are come together with this intention of this is what we're doing. And that is so powerful. And actually you said something at the end of retreat as that, again, you're at the, <laughs> it, it's almost like, oh, we're at the apex and we have to end now. That's how it felt for me. You said, hey, don't squander the Joriki that you've built here. Like you, if you can take a couple days and just be mm -hmm. like this, that, that energy is there. And man, that is so true. Mm -hmm. For a week, you're like, you're spending this currency you've developed, you know, and, and it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Man, I don't even, it's nothing you, you can really, you can talk and talk and talk about it, but you just have to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess my, I guess my, my, my point to the, to the group is this, I was very skeptical about this thing <laughs> and then I did it and you can just kind of get a sense from talking to us and you can either believe us, which I don't recommend, or you can just go and try it. And I see, then tell us what you think. 
And so well, there's a link you can sign up for your email list. If we do another one, you'll get an email and or go find one in your area. Mm -hmm. Feel what kind of different traditions might feel right for you if you have any experience with meditation. Yeah. Zen is, you're right, Zen is a very masculine kind of thing, which I think I'm drawn to it a bit because it's so direct. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of mumbo jumbo, it's just sit, see what's happening. Yeah, when it comes to the initial shift, the awakening, that Zen would be called Kensho, um, the tradition I was in is actually a mixture of Soto and Renzai, which are the two big schools of Zen, and they're fused, which is uncommon. In Japan, that's not a common thing at all, but this lineage did that. Mm. Uh, and so they use koans, like mu is a koan, what is the sound of one hand is a koan. Uh, but they also used shikantaza, which is more of the Dogen style, which is just sit. You're already Buddha nature, just sit. Yeah. Right? So it's a combination of those. But the koan system, specifically mu, which is the most common first koan, I think is actually really, really good at bringing about that first awakening. It's a, it's a very singular and specific way of doing it. It's a it's a hard path. It's a it's a it's a sort of a warrior's path in a way, because you really dig in, work hard, push hard, and the big joke at the end is that it, all of that is amounts to jack shit. Like you <laughs> you can't force reality to wake you up. It, it decides when it's going to wake you up, That's and it's right. when you give up. You actually, you get to the point where you're physically and mentally, emotionally exhausted, energetically exhausted, and some, and yet something in you still moves forward somehow. That's when it kind of happens. So, yeah. so yeah, Zen is really a good way uh, to to go about that as well. But the the retreats specifically are just challenging. Seven day retreats of sitting in in the, the zazen style. posture. Uh, is just challenging. It's physically painful, right? And you, you know, you can get used to it, but it's it's no it's no joke. A couple other practical things about yours. So what you it, it had a Zen feel, in that sense, but it we're sitting in chairs. We're generally finding our comfortable position. So there wasn't the torturous and and I just a couple other things if it's okay. I, I just of my experience because in a way it's kind of it helps me integrate it too. There was an experience where I was sitting in the chair and I, and I have chronic neck pain. And so one of my big fears going in was that if I don't sit in the right chair, like I'm debilitated, right? Well, I'm sitting in the chairs and it was fine until it wasn't. So I think day, I don't know, four or five, suddenly I started having really bad neck pain. And I started, I noticed my mind going right to resistance. Oh no, now it started day five, just when you're getting all that, that Joriki juice, man, it's like, now it's gonna hurt. And so I was like, wait, what is, but what is this? What is going on? What's, what's the bother here? Is it resistance? What is it? So I dived my attention with all that samadhi <laughs> right into the pain, and it was a vibrating energy, and it and it hurt. I mean, it's I'm not saying this doesn't isn't pain. It's pain. It's a vibrating energy of pain, and it started to just become the entire universe was this vibrating energy, and suddenly it's not pain. It's just this, and the next instant that I knew, I was aware it was gone. I mean, what the hell? Right, so that was one thing, <laughs> and and the second thing is what you said about like some people may ask, well, what are you doing when you're sitting there and meditating? And I think your your retreat, you did not say, oh, you do it this way, you do it this way, you do it this way. You're just like meditate, and that was the that was a very clear instruction. Like you can inquire, this is how you do that, but meditate. For me, that was shikantaza. It was mm -hmm. just sitting. And whatever is happening is happening non-judgmentally, and you're letting awareness go where it goes. Yeah. And to allow yourself that that kind of surrender is incredible. It sounds like you're doing nothing, mm -hmm. and you aren't. <laughs> right. You are. There's no you doing anything, and it's just absolutely indescribable. 
Yeah. So the my experience of that is the daily uh, guided meditations I do in the morning. Yeah. Right. And I say this at the beginning, I'm, I'm like, you know, you can use whatever technique you like for meditation. You can use no technique, whatever feels relevant Correct. to you. But the point of the guided meditations is to give you the vibe of the meditating experience, the meditative state itself, and help you just tune into that. That's all I'm doing with that. So it's it's something like if you're helping your kid learn to ride a bike, you kind of run along with them and you steer a little bit and you kind of let them go and then they, they, they kind of balance. But you can't logically tell them that. You can't be like, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to balance, turn the wheel this way when you start falling this way. That's not gonna make any sense. You have to actually put them on the bike, run along with them until they get it. And then you can go, whoa, they're riding. That's how it feels to me when I'm doing those guided meditations with the group of people, especially newbies who've never even meditated. I'm, I'm kind of like getting them up on that bike. That's all that that's oh, about. Okay, that's something I forgot to mention. So those guided meditations you would do after a couple of silent meditations in the morning, you then do this guided meditation and absolutely, there's something about that exactly that just gives you, it pushes you on the bike and you get a momentum. Mm -hmm. You're pointing in a direction and it's powerful. It's not like these things are scripted or written. You're just speaking from presence, from the experience. And I can't tell you, so I'll just say this. You can watch Angelo's videos, you can watch this video. That's one experience of transmission. When you have that degree of samadhi or jariki or presence in a retreat and Angelo is speaking from presence in the room with you and others, it is a totally different game. Like something happens, and I just tell you, so you did the guided meditations, that was one thing, amazing. Then you would do Q&A at the end, which was great because you could hear, see where other people are stuck and kind of feel into that and go, hey, wait, you know what, that's, and if you feel resistance to what they're saying, like, oh, why are they complaining about that? You can feel your own resistance. But, but then you would do these talks that were like, okay, and they're really like meditations, so people are there in samadhi, and I tell you the last, it, all of them were good, but the last one you did on the day when we had the most, and he's like, okay, you guys think you're done? You're not done yet. And you took us on this ride of like, dude, walk right up to emptiness and experience you, with who are you? And I swear, I swear, like even now I'm like, <laughs> it, it, it is beyond words to describe. So again, we're talking about something that can't be talked about, just try it. Thank you, Angela. That's it. I love Thank you, you. Yeah. Love you too. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, 
how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.